All right, welcome back, Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, I guess, today, Kyle Scott, at Crossing Broad on Twitter, joined, as always, by Russell Joy, at Joy on Broad. And we are Sans Adam. Uh, he may still be in California. Uh, he may be in the air, or he may be dead. We're not sure. So Come it's, back uh, to Russell. us, Adam. Come back What's to that? us. What's that? I said, come back to us, Adam. Where are you? Come back to us. Uh, we we talked her from him on Twitter yesterday and uh, have not since. So I don't. He may actually. I know last time we did this, he was traveling like overnight from California. So uh, it's giving some of the weird hacking and uh, power and train issues across. Like it seems like everywhere yesterday there was an Amtrak uh, accident on the Northeast Corridor today uh so who knows who knows uh where he is uh his logistics may be all out of shape anyway uh no adam today it's uh kyle and russ so um we got a little follow-up to start uh from our flyers discussion last show i asked people to send me some sort of an explanation for the flyers trade i'm going into this with an open mind the Braden shen trade i said last show that i didn't really I guess I didn't really get it. Not that I am the biggest Braden Shen fan by any stretch. I just wasn't really sure of the merits of swapping him for a much lesser player with a very similar, almost identical cap hit, understanding that you're getting two late first-round picks out of the deal, which are not invaluable in or are, are totally valuable in, in all regards, which I agree with. So I got a lot of feedback. Uh, I want to name drop a few people here. I got a lot on Twitter, and I don't, I didn't check them all off, but I think we got emails from uh, Rich and John, and I want to get the other guy because he sent me a really good one. Rich and John and Harry, Harry sent me a really good one. Uh, we got another one from another John. So a um, couple really long emails and a whole bunch of tweets about it. The gist, and actually some friends who sent me texts and were like, dude, you're wrong. So the gist of all of these responses was trading Shen, while it's a definite short-term hit to the team, opens up more cap space in two years rather than three years. Shen had three years left on his contract. Laterra only has two. And the Flyers will need some of that money two years from now, kind of like the Sixers will in three years. Um, you know, like the, maxing a player for the Sixers with a four-year deal would be way more prohibitive than three years because the Sixers are going to need that money sooner. Same deal with the Flyers. They're going to need more money in two years. So um, getting that one year of cap relief, even though the cap hits are the same between Shen and Laterra, is, uh, is, a, is, a is a big part of this. The other part is to make room for the glut of centers that they have and Nolan Patrick. And the other thought was that while Braden Shen's still a better player than Laterra, they may or may not be more or less equal on even strength. I'm not sure I totally buy that. However, Shen 17 power play goals. Uh, he was a big beneficiary of playing with Giroux and Ghost, and Hartnell put up a 39 goal season in a similar sort of uh, you know similar sort of role. Not that they were all in the power play, but uh, so basically you can almost replace Shen's power play production. That's the gist of the emails. Russ, I'd be interested to get your thoughts because I, I agree with most of what people sent me, but I do have a couple of points to fire back now there's there's not a whole lot to add to that there was a guy on twitter who uh his name's zach and zach was was really big on this idea that you're f trying to free up the space to to make a bigger offer to simmons in a few years and 
I don't, you know, we hadn't really talked of it, uh, you know, in that kind of context. And I, I mean, I guess in some way that makes sense. So, yeah, there, there's really not, there's really not too much. I don't think that that we missed on a God. What day was that? Monday. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. First of all, I'm not sure I love the idea of using it to sign Simmons in the middle of his career. Like, as much as I like Simmons and Giroux and Voracek, they've been spinning their wheels with this core. So I don't know if any of those guys, you figure maybe one of them could be here as a as a long-term veteran, but I have no problem moving on from any of those guys when and if they can. Obviously, some contracts are more prohibitive than others, but I'm not set on you have to sh- re-sign Wayne Simmons. I think he's he's a very good Scott Hartnell-type player, um, but I'm not so sure that player is as valuable in today's NHL. As much as I like Simmons, and I know everybody likes Simmons, I'm just not so sure that I'm necessarily sold on that. And it I looks mean, like they might else, want... He's a guy who's, who's definitely outworked uh, and kind of overplayed his contract, whereas you've got guys like Giroux and Voracek that have... Uh, sure, they, but he's, he's overplayed it because it's a team, it's a more favorable contract. So if you re-sign him in a couple of years, that's the sort of player you're going to overpay for. And that's the sort of thing the Flyers of old would have done. Hey, here's a guy who's putting up a lot of goals... Not really a skill position player, but a guy who gets a lot of tip-ins, a mucker grinder, big guy in the middle, and then you overpay him, and he's really not as talented as the contract justifies. So that's all I would say. Uh, this The email was from John Palmieri. He said, uh, you know, Hexy seems to value youth to an extreme degree, and I think he wanted to avoid a situation like Chicago where they've been forced to let go of good players. And he mentions uh, they might want to give being having the flexibility in two years to give new contracts to players like Provorov and Konechny and others. So I agree with all those points. Um, I, I don't know if I summed it up the most eloquent way. I don't think the coffee is fully kicked in yet at 6.23 in the morning. But um, the only thing I would say in response to all of that is it's very easy to say, well, you could just replace Shen's 17 power play goals. That's a role a lot of guys could be successful in. And I don't disagree with that. Um, However, he did lead the league in power play goals on a team that didn't make the playoffs. So it's not like you're surrounding him with like sheer, absolute, league-leading firepower. Um, There's something to be said for a guy who scores 17 goals the same way there's something to be said for a guy who scores as much as Simmons does, even though I just knocked him. So I I think it's easy to say, well, we could just replace that. Or, oh, he's just the same player, five on five. I think those things are a little bit of a stretch. And I still, I would have preferred getting a slightly better player back in the near term and maybe one first round draft pick. But that's just me. And it seems the consensus is this isn't like the best trade in the world, but at the end of the day, it's a minor win. You get to move on from Shen, you open up some flexibility in a few years, and you continue to position yourself for the future. I guess There's I'm just... just disappointed that unlike the Sixers, the Flyers, um, it, there's not that like like definite like, okay, they're going to suck for four years, but they're, you could see like this is the moment now with the Sixers where you could see where they're turning it forward. I'm just not... Like I see I'm just not a... quite sure you see that with the Flyers because as much as all these prospects are, are ballyhooed and the young guys coming up, that's always the case with the Flyers. And I know some of them are really good, but it's really hard to like sink your teeth into any one of them, especially the guys we haven't seen yet, just because none of us, you know, none of us really know. 
right? Um, yeah, I mean, and that, and it seems like Flyers guys always disappoint us. And unlike basketball, where you could see guys playing college and be like, "Yep, NBA talent, NBA talent, NBA talent." Other than a guy like Nolan Patrick, it becomes pretty hard to project what a guy's going to be in the NHL unless they're these can't miss stars. You know, if nothing else, at least we haven't talked about Nico at all. So I guess that's a that is a, a positive that we've we've run into. The only thing that I worry about, uh, you know. Shen was never able to kind of turn the corner here, which is which is disappointing. But I don't think it's a lack of talent. I just worry that this is going to be like a James Van Riemsdyk thing, where like you gave up on the guy. Like I know he, it's not like he's twenty two, but you gave up on him too early. Like I, I would have been fine. I guess we'll have to see where free agency goes. But I would have been fine keeping Shen for another year to see what you have, and and to see if he like give him one more season. Especially because it, it doesn't look like they're they're looking to try to contend anytime soon. Like there there's no like sunken cost here in, in, in having him as a member of the team. So uh we'll see if Lutera's any any good. I mean he, he has been centering a line with Tarasenko, which will if nothing else should bring some kind of decent playmaking skill and he's yeah, at I, least I played he's at least played with, me... with, with a, a you know, a big time talent, so it's not like he's just coming from some scrub team that just has been playing, you know, like two or three year wingers on his line. So I don't know. No, but to me that that works against him. He was playing on a line with Tarasenko on a playoff on a pretty good playoff team, and, and he didn't have the goals, goals or assists. Yeah, assists. yeah, that's yeah. to me that's where I like. It's fine. I don't think he matters in the grand scheme of things. And to your point, if you are just writing off the next couple of seasons as not being true contenders, and you can get a couple of first round picks, then fine. So I, I'm fine with the trade. I just, I still, I get it. Um, I'm still a little hesitant on the the Flyers' overall strategy. I know it's tough to move, you know, to move a guy like Giroux. He has a new trade clause and and all that. But it just feels like you have these guys who would be really good complementary pieces on a good team, but they're your core and they haven't done anything. And it's just like we're we're kind of wasting their careers as the Flyers' core with the Simmons and and Giroux and Voracek and I don't know, just a weird yeah, man. Like just in it's a weird over. spot. It is over for this core. They, they are not going to have and, – and, like, this is, I guess, where we get into how delusional are people going to be. There, There's not, like, this magic moment that we're going to see unless Nolan Patrick is, like, the next Sidney Crosby and just all of a sudden, you know, reinvents the game. Like, it, it's just not there. It's a part of – I think it's the thing that's so upsetting, especially when, when you have a rival like Pittsburgh – who somehow manages every year to go out and sign a big free agent or make a huge trade. Like, I don't know what the Phil Kessel move is going to be for the Flyers that's supposed to, like, all of a sudden make them perennial contenders for the Cup. And I don't know how they're supposed to work it into the into the salary cap because they've got deals like Andrew McDonald's that just absolutely, absolutely hamstring them. Plus, they don't have a goalie. Michael Neuvert is not a goalie. Stolarz has not well, been able a, to... Cra- goalie. Let's- yeah choose our words. <laughs> he's not a franchise goalie. No. And Stolarz has never been able to actually crack the lineup. So, like, I'm sorry. If if somebody out there can, can explain to me how in the world this team is going to become a contender in the next two years, please feel free to let me know. But the salary cap situation does not look too favorable to them. And it doesn't really look like the, the Giroux of the world who you would have thought would have been getting better with age have not. He's starting to look like a guy who's been broken down by injuries. He looks like a guy who's too small to be 
the the guy that you rely on for the minutes that he plays. And Voracek, I mean, I like what Voracek brings to the table, but not at the cap hit that he's got now. That's like a, a classic Flyers overpay, and he hasn't stepped up and, and, you know, met his deal. That's why I said, like, I know that Simmons isn't counting as much, but, like, Simmons is outplaying both of those guys and making a fraction of the money. So I, I think that's, like, where the biggest disappointment for me comes from. I, I just need to know where where we're supposed to go in free agency. I want to know where where they're supposed to go in the trade market. Like, do they even have valuable assets? Like, they've got prospects. They've got good defensive prospects. Are they going to parlay that into a legitimate winger to put on the top line with Giroux? Like, is that what's going to happen? Because I don't see it yet. And it, and it is a shame because when you saw Giroux stepping up as a young kid and, you know, sticking it to Chris Pronger in the locker room, you thought that's a guy who's spunky. I can't believe I used the word spunky, but like, you know, that guy's got some chutzpah. And here he is all these years later and like there's nothing to show for it the biggest i think like the coolest thing that Giroux ever did was the game that they played in the playoffs against the uh, penguins where he just like makes a beeline for crosby and wrecks him against the board like that's yeah, the that's the I career just... defining moment of Giroux. there was supposed to be so many better moments than that there were supposed to be so many deep playoff runs and they've got what a f- like none like there's nothing yeah. Even Carter uh, well, and Richards, I, for as flawed as they were, that core took this team farther. Well, I think, um, to your point, uh, that that Giroux moment was maybe the worst thing that ever happened to him. Because it was right before, right after that, that Peter Laviolette called him the best player in hockey, which I think hurt in him. In the world. It, it yeah. ra- in the world, yeah. It raised his profile. Um, but it, all, it also raised expectations and made it harder on him to be the player that he really is. And I think I never I never liked the concept of making him the captain. And this isn't to turn into a sports talk radio thing. He's not a good leader or whatever. I think the captaincy is overrated. But I think it placed undue pressure on him. When you look at guys like you know, captains before him, Primo, Pronger, Lindros, etc., and you know you tend to view captains as a superstar type player and i think between laviolette doing that and the flyers kind of immediately making him captain at a pretty young and at times pretty immature age i feel like it just it was too much pressure and he's not a guy he's just not a an elite superstar type player and i feel like I just feel like the expectations for Giroux have always been out of whack. And the Flyers are paying him in line with those expectations. They're paying Voracek in lines with those expectations because of essentially one terrific season that he had. But neither of them are, are top flight guys. And to your point about, you mentioned the Penguins kind of being able to reload. You know, for those of us who are old enough to remember 90s Flyers hockey, Russ, um, or early 2000s Flyers hockey. Yeah, you shut um, up. You should have Mark Recky. Mark Recky made the Hall of Fame, former Flyer. This is the sort of thing. This is the sort of thing they would always do, and did up until just a couple of years ago with Hextall, is go out and get the guys like Kessel every trade deadline or every summer, and it it never really worked for them. So I don't have a problem with that, but I, I I feel like in basketball is an exception because every point we make here about the Flyers, people could say, "Well, the Sixers." You applauded what the Sixers did. Basketball is separate because you could really top. Top flight draft picks very well translate. And on when you're in a sport that has seven guys take up most of your on on field, on court, on ice time, 
one or two players can make a huge impact. Whereas hockey, any other sport, you need a team around them. I feel like the Flyers, giving their standing as an organization, their money, their clout, their fan base, all this stuff, they should be in a position to more quickly rebuild. Especially now, because it's not like they jettison their core. They still have a somewhat decent team on the ice most nights. They should be able, the same way the Phillies should have been able to do what like the Red Sox had done. And you could blame Ruben Amaro for this. But those teams like the Red Sox, like the Yankees, they're able to reload and retool with only a couple of down years. And, you know, the Penguins kind of did the same thing. This core had a bit of an odd team in 2012 when they bottomed out and stuff, and they made some changes, but they they kept most of the guys intact. Now, granted, we don't have a Malkin or a Crosby, so it's it's a different order of magnitude. But I, I just think when you are a big market team like the Flyers, you shouldn't have to kick five years away. Uh, and the, you're seeing the Eagles do that now. I think the Eagles are, are are retooling and rebuilding in a way that is somewhat smart. They're bringing in guys like Jeffrey and, and Blunt, as much as I don't like him, who could put a, a competitive potential division-winning competitive team on the field next year, but they haven't fully sacrificed the future. They have some good young talent. They got their good young quarterback. Um, so they're doing it kind of both ways. And I think you could do that in, in all sports with the exception of basketball. And it disappoints me that the Flyers have just kind of been stuck in this malaise. And we all love these these core guys, but it's one of the worst cores they've had in, in 20 years. Giroux, Voracek, and Simmons as much as, um, and, you know, they've never complimented them with a, anything resembling a second scoring line. So The only positive that they have going for them is apparently they've got just over $12 million in cap space, but they do have free agents that are coming up and they've got restricted free agents they need to pay. But like, if you want to look at why the Flyers are in the mess that they're in, look no further than the guys making the most money against the cap. Sharoon and Voracek both make just over $8 million against the cap each year, and Andrew McDonald's making five. And Fipula, a guy, or Fipula, who, a guy who they picked up at the trade deadline that people thought they were going to buy out, is also making $5 million against the cap. And now Laterra makes four point seven. Those are your top five guys in salary. Yeah, I mean, like, look, your, your next next season, I said this last show, next season, your your top four cap hits, uh, Giroud at 8.2, Vorchek at 8.2, Philpla, I can never get his name right, and it's never going to happen, five, and now Laterra at 4.7. So your, all, all of your four highest contracts, and this is probably the case with a lot of teams, are are gross overpays, and in some cases, like head scratchers like Laterra, and and you know, team hindering overpays in Jerome Voracek. Now that said, the Flyers, the Flyers aren't up against it. I mean, they, they got as of today like over twelve million in cap space, so like they're not up against it in the near term. And again, to Hextall's credit, moving a guy like Shen frees you, uh, you know, because Latara's done a, a year sooner, frees you in two years, and come. 19 2019 2020 the flyers are are pretty free and clear with a lot of this stuff though you you still have we saw Vorchek and Giroux at eight, at 8 million through 2021 and mcdonald yeah yeah actually i didn't include mcdonald on that list he's he's the number three cap hit and, and ghost is right up there too so um ghost has a favorable contract at 4.5 for the next six years so I don't know. So anyway, thank you for the feedback. We spent a ton of time on the on the flyers here and on that uh, in the beginning, but um, yeah, uh, let, let's move on to this media. <laughs> let's move on to two daily news idiots. Uh, first up, Marcus Hayes. This post went up last night 
Um, somehow, Russ, what what was your saying about uh, Hayes and Brookover's conversation? They're sitting in a Philly.com writer's room. Brookover comes in elated, looking at the amount of clicks that he got on his uh, his article, and he says, this is like the best, worst article I've written yet. And Marcus Hayes just looks at him, gets up from the table, looks across the room and says, Bob, hold my pen. <laughs> I mean, this is, um, we've... I you know what I'm starting had, like, to think I'm, music. I'm I'm starting to think that these guys have uh, they become caricatures of themselves and they are yes. becoming the new like Stephen A Smith of uh, of the written the written word and it's funny because you get you get guys who uh, who write for newer media who have now started to go all in on these guys uh, you know uh, I think it was Kyle Newbeck from Liberty Ballers uh, tweeted something. Uh, about he like retweeted the Hayes article and said, uh, "Yeah, now I I wonder why why uh, traditional press is dying." I mean this this Hayes yeah, article and, is and you had B- Bodner lovely. go at Eskin yesterday. Like I've always been the guy to rip these guys to shreds, but it's interesting to see Newback who's with Philly Voice or no Liberty Ballers, uh, Rich Hoffman's with Philly Voice. And Bodner, who's who's kind of his, his more of he, he's his own thing, but he's always been more mainstream, not very inflammatory and stuff. And to see these guys going after Eskin and Hayes of the world, I, I think like you t- you said it best when they're becoming caricatures of themselves. I was reading this Hayes piece thinking I don't know if he's trolling us or I don't know if this is satire. And I honest to Christ, the headline is Sixers Markel Fultz should start the season on the bench, which is utterly ludicrous. And it's this is how it starts off. For starters, maybe Markel Fultz shouldn't start. How's that for a lead? Really, what's the rush? This is the fifth year of the process. The three most significant pieces in Bede, Simmons, and Fultz have played a total of 31 games, 31 of 328 games since it began. Processors are nothing if not patient. I honestly thought that this was a sarcasm, sarcastic troll piece at processors who for years have said, hey, let's kick the can down the road. And I, like, I actually was at this point thinking, okay, Marcus is kind of poking fun at those people who seemed like they never wanted to win and, you know, trying to make an, an, an argument where he was going to have a point later and he was going to put a bow on it and say, just kidding, this is the guy you got. But nope, he just continues down this road of saying it's better off if Fultz comes off the bench and plays alongside TJ McConnell. If you compare, put him on the wing, like... He's, he's the best point guard prospect in the draft, and he wants to start him on the wing, and he says you compare them with veterans. Never mind that like I would classify T.J. McConnell as anything but a veteran. Never mind the fact that number one picks don't come off the bench. Never mind the fact that like he's like, well, you're throwing away the next two years anyways. Let them learn this way. Yeah, yeah, that's why you let them learn together. Like, Of course they're going to make mistakes. He said he's going to make a lot of turnovers. Uh, of course he is. He's a rookie. Who cares? Let him make the turnovers with Embiid and Simmons, the guy he could be playing with for the next decade. He compares him to Chris Paul. He said Chris Paul made a lot of turnovers, and then he has the fucking gall to say, he said Simmons and Fultz are going to have a lot of turnovers. And then he has the gall to say Fultz and Simmons are not Chris Paul. Why not? They're not? not? Wait, they're not? No, but like, he's being, I don't. I don't understand. Both of those guys come into the league with every bit as much potential as Chris Paul had. Like, he's saying they're not Chris Paul as a rookie. They're saying even CP3 was almost a full assist worst his first two seasons. Well, 
And then he's like, well, Fultz and Simmons are not Chris Paul. Well, they could be. They absolutely could be. I, that's the part I don't get. Like, 15 years ago, was he dismissive of Chris Paul as he's, he's not John Stockton? Like, I, I don't know. But if there's two guys that have entered the draft in the last seven years, Fultz and Simmons are on the top four who you could argue or, or could absolutely be Chris Paul-type players, if not better. I mean, Simmons' best well, league comp. Oh, come man, on. If, they're, they're, if people are sitting here comparing Fultz to Harden and Simmons as a LeBron light, like, look, is, is Chris Paul a Hall those of are very yeah. Those are very hopeful pro- projections. Dude, totally. But what you're talking about two consecutive number one picks in the draft. If there are any players who have entered the league the last four years who could be a Chris Paul-level player, it's, it's going to be guys that are top three picks. So I don't, like, who knows they're not Chris Paul? The, the whole point of getting guys at number one is that they could become potential Hall of Famers. And I'm, I guarantee you, several players from the last five years of draft class will become Hall of Famers, and Fultz and Simmons are among the best of those crop to come in. I think that's such a silly comparison. Like, that is so ridiculous. And who's to say Paul was that much better than, than either of these guys coming out of college? It just doesn't make any sense. Fultz was the number one player in a, in a pretty deep draft. He um, also mentioned that Kobe baffled. didn't start for the first two years, so that, that pretty much uh, guarantees the kid's success. I, I would love to know what uh, Scott O'Neill and the ownership group have to say about this Hayes article. Uh, they just sold, what is it, 14,000 season tickets, uh, pre-sold 14,000, and... Uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe they should listen to Hayes. Maybe Fultz should start on the bench. That'd be a really great promotion. That would allow the people who get stuck in traffic in the sports complex or who are having a, a little bit of a rough time getting out of Xfinity Live, I mean, they wouldn't even have to make the start of the game. They could show up 15 minutes late, and then Fultz will be coming on the court. Maybe maybe Hayes is a marketing genius. So I don't this- mean that at all. For the people no, I, I picked up on that. your sarcasm. Unlike yeah, well, cases, sometimes sometimes I get a tweet where somebody's like, oh, it didn't make any sense. Uh, so, all right. Uh, Kobe, so th- th- this paragraph, I didn't even make it this far originally. Kobe didn't start his first two seasons. Magic didn't play point guard his first four. And Magic had played twice as many seasons in college as Fulton Simmons, both one and Dunners. Magic also led Michigan State to the 1979 NCAA title and was their most outstanding player of the tournament. Both Simmons and Fultz watched their NCAA tournaments on TV. The fascination with local media guys and the lack of success in college for Fultz and Simmons blows my mind. Like, blow, like just blows it. The First of all, LeBron James never played an NCAA tournament game. He never played in a college game. Like the the notion that you have to have had some deep NCAA tournament run to justify your existence as an NBA prospect is laughable. And the reason Simmons and Fultz did not play in NCAA tournament games, it's not because they're bad players. It's not because they can't win on good teams. It's because the one and done climate is such that no longer do you have to go, and in some cases you don't want to go, to a Kentucky or an UNC, and obviously like these guys had De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball at UCLA, and, and UNC cranks out guys, and Duke cranks out guys. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the climate, there are so many guys like Fultz, like Simmons, especially Simmons, who would have enter, entered the NBA draft right out of high school. But because of this stupid one-and-done rule, which is a relatively new thing, players want to go to a college 
where they can just prepare themselves for the NBA. They're not going there for an NCAA to stick, stick around any more than one year. Even the top flight guys before that, if you didn't go to the NBA out of high school, and even if you were one of the best recruits going into the college, you may have not quite had the talent to be a one and done and may have been stuck around for two or three years or four years before going pro. But the one and done rule has taken surefire NBA guys and forced them to go to college. So when you look at the case of Simmons, he went to a place where he could essentially be treated like a professional basketball player, where he can make a documentary about himself, where he can have the freedom where he, you know, you, you have to, the, the grades and uh, winning and all this stuff were, were not like, part of the program. And you could judge a guy like that saying, hey, why didn't you go try and win a championship at Kentucky? But these are guys who went into it for the sole purpose of of a one-year training camp for the NBA. And Fultz wasn't highly recruited initially and developed late, and Washington was one of his first offers, and he liked the coach, and I think probably liked the fact that they had prepared NBA-ready guards at Washington previously. And I think that really played into it. So I think the one-and-done rule really changes the types of teams these guys out of high school are going to, which is why you're seeing some guys like Fulton Simmons who don't make the tournament because they're going to shit teams because shit teams will basically do anything and allow those players to basically do anything they want for a year just so they could say they have them on their team, which is exactly what LSU did with Simmons. Though the difference, I think, was Fultz was asked about what his GPA was I think he said it was like a three-two-three or something. Fultz at least, Fultz at least, uh, we don't know how much he went to class. We know that Simmons did not go to class. For anybody who watched the documentary, um, the I guess the the rub here is, did did Fultz actually go to class? Uh, uh, I guess if you care that much about it, um, more power. A three-two to you. is a three-two is like, that's, that's you not have a bad to show GPA. Up. Yeah. yeah, like you. Yeah, you definitely can't can't no show all your classes. Um, I think that if he had kind of pulled the Simmons, that he wouldn't have answered that question. So uh, I don't know. I, I always find that that argument now to be just uh, a really interesting one from the academic perspective of, you know, is it worth is it worth it for a university to go out and recruit a guy who's not going to go to class when they could give that money? that scholarship money to a kid who's actually trying to get into college for the for the sake of a four-year study oh, and we get how naive what? you are you're such and, a uh, teacher what long let me stop you there because we're going to get emails about that comment what no no i'm not saying i'm taking a side i'm saying like i find that conversation uh, it's not even interesting it, it's not a conversation but it's not that's the thing it's not a conversation when you get when you get a ben simmons or a markel fultz playing for your school the money whether it's ticket sales or TV rights or the chance of going to the tournament. Again, these teams didn't. But you know, when, it, when a school goes to the tournament, they make money. When they play games on national TV, they make money. When you have a Simmons and now people might view L- LSU or Washington as destinations and it increases your profile over the years, the basketball – D1 basketball and football, especially football, makes so much money for the school that there there is never one student or even 100 students who could justify the the amount of income one player could bring. So, I like it you can't even it's not even a conversation. It, comparing one really good student to one potential superstar who's playing on national television and getting national TV, millions of national TV dollars for your school or has the potential to, to raise your profile. There's no, there's no comparison. 
And, and I'm not saying that's the right thing, but that's that's just reality of the situation. Like you look at a school, I mean, I'll just go back to Villanova. Like they just dumped millions of dollars into renovating their basketball facility. Well, why? Well, because, you know, when the team makes that national championship run, it's the best recruiting tool the school has ever had in the history of the school. Applications are up. It becomes more competitive. You make more money. There are buildings just out the wazoo around Villanova. And a lot of that has come from the fact the basketball team has been a, a, a you know, a national program for the last 10 years. <laughs> it's literally building academic buildings. So, I will I will stop you before you you get emails on on that. So you're you're telling me that that John the engineering major at LSU is is not valued the same way that Ben Simmons was? What? He's not valued the same way that what? Ben Simmons is. His entire engineering class is not valued the same way that Ben Simmons is or was. Wow. Now, not saying Simmons worked out there, but the thinking going in is you know, this is this is what you do. That's wild, man. I I just thought everybody was 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 worth the same to a university you know yeah, that's that's the teacher in you talking i know you're being sarcastic by the way um i Am think I you though? are i think i Am think I? you are do you know james andrews went to lsu i'm looking up famous alumni i was gonna try to weave in some kind of like really snarky comment but uh I've got nothing, but James Andrews went to, to LSU. Like if some so famous scientist went there or something? Yeah, I was looking up yeah. astronauts. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, you're going to tell me that... They still yeah, don't... They you know, still, astronauts are... The engineering students aren't doing their homework on ESPN. Um, yeah, I mean... For ad dollars. Hey, manager of shuttle uh, projects office at NASA, Alex McCool. You're telling me Alex McCool doesn't mean as much to LSU's legacy as Ben Simmons? To you, I say nay, sir. So right, anyway, let's, let's keep going. Yeah. So anyway, Hayes, I don't even know how he got here, but Hayes banging on Simmons and Fultz for the NCAA tournament. It's just, it's absurd. And it seems, it seems all the anti-process folks now have taken to that, like, oh, these guys haven't won in college. Who knows what they are? But the notion of not starting Fultz with Simmons and a beat after the Brett Brown came out on day one, I was like, yep, they're all starting. Not even a question is just laughable. Um, and really like, I, I don't know if he's being serious. I don't know if he's trying to troll. But this is the sort of stuff that, like, if you wrote on a blog, if I wrote this on the blog, I would have people, like, this is why you're not a real journalist. This is why you can't break into the business. This is why you live in your mother's basement. This is why yada, 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 yada. Like, I, th- these are the things you would get. Like, this is why no one takes blogs seriously. This is utterly ludicrous. It's not well-researched. It's just some guy's knee-jerk opinion. And and quite honestly, that's what this, this is from Hayes. That's what Bob Brookover wrote last week. And um, transitioning to the quickly to the email that Brookover sent a reader. He sent reader Mike an email, which in response to uh, Mike's, Mike's from Green Legion, by the way, in response to Mike's email to hit Brookover shitty piece. And he started it off, this is on the site yesterday, quote, Brookover, I said I never saw him play a game, which I would guess that most of the fans who are blindly excited about the deal would say the same thing. Surveyed about 20 or so people at a wedding reception I attended during my vacation, and they all said they had never seen him play a game. I watched his highlights. I'm skeptical of highlights. So just to distill this real quickly, Brookover writes a piece, says he wouldn't have traded up for Fultz, says he's never seen him play a game, and then he defends his stance on Fultz, and I don't... He actually had a real argument later in the email saying, I still don't like the fact of of jettisoning two number one picks for one first round pick because I like taking two chances. That's totally reasonable. 
But to sit here and say that you've never seen Fultz play before making the statement about that particular trade, and then saying that I've only seen highlights, I don't value them, and then he goes on to say, I think Fultz will be a good player. So I have no basis to judge him. I only watch highlights. I don't value them. But here's my opinion on him in the trade anyways. The, the epitome of laziness. And to say I surveyed people at a wedding, they didn't watch him play, readers didn't watch him play, that's fine. Guess whose job it is to watch him play? Guess who is the columnist for a major publication website in the fourth largest media market and maybe the second largest sports market in the country? Brookover, not his audience, not the people at the fucking wedding. Brookover, it's his job to watch him. And it took me 20 seconds yesterday on YouTube, on YouTube, to find two full games. Countless scouting videos, not just highlights, positives and negatives. Here are the things Fultz does well, here are the things he doesn't do well. 10, 20 minute long videos breaking down his game, plus two full games just on YouTube, let alone, I'm sure a deeper Google search could turn up a way to download or purchase full Washington games streaming. Um, it blows my mind. The guy writes three columns a week and he couldn't be bothered to do any of that. He just watched the mixtape, essentially. I wonder if he watched any Lonzo Ball film or if he was just, you know, cozied up on his couch on Monday watching a LeVar, LeVar, Lonzo, and LaMelo on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> That's a pretty good scouting report. Maybe Fultz needs to do that. Maybe we need to get him on on uh, on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown when it comes to, uh, to Philly at some point. Maybe then he'll watch. But yeah, it's like, did he watch any UCLA games? UCLA was easier to watch than Washington. Or again, do we just watch Ball's highlights and like, whoa, whoa, that guy, he does, he looks different. He's playing, he's, he's in the blue and gold on UCLA. He's terrific. But again, uh, like the thing that I think makes it just like, I don't want to go on this Brookover thing again, but like the thing that makes it just so egregious is we have access to every college's games. The, the world is at your fingertips clips and and full game highlights and and full game streams for that matter are available to anyone who wants to find them and the idea that you couldn't be bothered to do just that little bit of investigative research to to just be a little bit curious about a top prospect in the draft and you couldn't be bothered to do any of that before spewing verbal nonsense onto a onto a computer screen is just nonsensical at best not one... and it's irresponsible it's irresponsible yes. journalism well it's lazy it's ignorant and it's like look at the guys who are, are killing to make a name for themselves whether it's the sixers guys like the bodners of the world who are like spending hours breaking down film and really researching topics right and for a guy who's who's being paid you know he has essentially a tenured union paycheck that he would have to like kill somebody to get fired because he's been there so long. He writes three columns per week. By the way, the columns that him and Hayes have just turned out, I assure you, as someone who writes a lot, I could have turned those out in 38 minutes. Like That's how long it took them to write that, and they're probably even more skilled at it than I am at this point of churning out slop and getting it past an editor. And by the way, they have it edited. I could have written that and edited it myself in 38 minutes. The crap, I mean, there's no research, no outside links, no nothing. It's just, just your opinion. 
And this is what's wrong with the old media model because you, you, you become a beat writer and then you get promoted to columnist and now you are asshole emeritus and you just get to say whatever you want with no repercussions and you think that your opinion's better. And that used to be the case in the old days because people had nowhere else to turn and now they do. And now it's so easy to see through the bullshit. And when you have other guys out there busting their ass, actually doing research, looking at data, watching game film. And to your point, it's it's 2017. It's not hard to watch a Washington game, even if they're not on TV. I was actually blown away. I was like, all right, let's see how difficult it is. How long does it take me to find a Washington game? I wasn't expecting them to be on YouTube, especially for a middling Pac-12 school. Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of guys out there clipping up their highlights. I would expect it to be easier to find a Kentucky game. Sure enough, two full games. Washington, basketball, full game, YouTube, two games, one from January, one from December. By the way, they're condensed. The commercials are removed, I believe. You could have knocked it out in 90 minutes seeing, seeing Fultz play two games just like that. Never mind all the other videos that show you every touch or every scoring play from every single game. Like That's how easy it is to watch them. You don't need to just watch the mixtape. Blows my mind. Three columns a week. Three columns a week. By my estimation, Brookover does no more than, I'll be generous, four hours of work per week as best as I can tell. All right, let's and get I, off Brookover. Let's I know he shows up to Philly's game. All right, fine, but it's it's so offensive. I'm Seriously, I'm so, like, angered. You're you're salty. It's okay. I don't think there's anybody who's going to disagree with you. It's okay. No, there's not. Um, let's go to, so, let's go to cord cutting, our favorite topic. Let me sum this up high level. There were, th- there were three really good sports media, national sports media related articles over the last three days. Uh, there was a sports business daily article from John Arand, who is one Arand or and who's one of the best sports media writers out there. Um, one of the best pieces on ESPN I've read, I, I think since James Miller's book, these guys have all the fun. It was super long, super in depth. It had to be like 4,000 words and it detailed ESPN's recent struggles. Um, their subscriber losses, their recent firings, layoffs, whatever you want to call them. And I'll try and distill it into like two paragraphs. The gist of it was, as we've talked about before, a few years ago, the league decided uh, ESPN, there was a lot of contention in the ranks whether they should pay crazy sum for NBA rights and then NFL rights for Monday Night Football. And President John Skipper was on the side of paying for them, and he won, and he eventually won over Disney CEO Bob Iger. And his argument was, it doesn't matter if we overpay for these things. We need them. We can monetize them. This was in like 2014 when ESPN was, or the, between 2011 and 2014, when ESPN was up around 100 million subscribers. And they decided we can overpay for these things. We don't need to worry about it. We have, we're getting $7 a month from 100 million people in the country through their cable bills. And it's valuable to us. And it's, it's our competitive advantage having these sports rights. And we need them. So we have to overpay for them. We have to do whatever it takes to get them. And we've talked about this before. And then they did it. And then since 2011, their subscribers have gone from 100 million down to now around 86 million. And when you do the math on that, seven times 13 million, whatever it worked out to be, it was it was over a billion dollars a year. They are not getting seven times 12 times 13 million. It was over a billion dollars a year, whatever it works out to be, that they are not getting from subscribers. And they're only making up two million of those subscribers, two of those 13 million through streaming packages. And that's why you're seeing the issues. So they so then they doubled down on some of their premium talent, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, because those guys differentiated them. 
That brings us to the Fox piece. FS1, just this screed against, what is his name, Jamie Horowitz? Yep. Awful announcing. Screed against Jamie Horowitz, who cha- who just completely just took a blowtorch to Fox Sports' website, which for a while there actually had some pretty good content. And just this week, they've converted it to all video like all clipped up video. The other thing they wanted to do was double down on their personalities, their Skip Bayless's, their cow herds. And instead of writing for the web, instead of writing viral articles, or one of the examples was like 11 possible Oregon duck coach replacements, they said, we're going to make all of these pieces we write online. We're going to have our writers ghost write for guys like cow herd or, um, or, Steve, or Skip Bayless. We're going to have them ghostwrite their opinions and have Cowherd say something on the radio and then have someone write an article as Cowherd basically summing up that point for the web. Which So, like, they, too, are doubling down on these, like, larger-than-life personalities, which I think, as we've talked about before, it's almost like the columnists of TV, we kind of hate now. We hate the debate style. We hate the fact that just because Stephen A. Smith yells, he's like a leader on something. Uh, that's two. And three was a Philly.com article, I'm assuming by um, Jonathan Tannenwald, who covers media and soccer, that NBC Sports will no longer allow subscribers to watch all of the Premier League games within the app. Previously, you were able to see any English Premier League game, whether it was on one of the NBC channels or not, in the NBC Sports app. Now they're going to charge $50 a month for those games that are not on NBC TV. And where this ties back to ESPN is what right now ESPN is trying to figure out a way to recoup lost subscriber fees. And they're having trouble doing it because they've lost over 10 million subscribers in just the last few years. And the, the, the end road of this is you're going to have to start paying for a basketball subscription to a company like ESPN because they can't afford it or pay for it otherwise because they're not getting that money from every household in America. And that's what NBC's doing now. They had these Premier League rights. They spent over a billion dollars on them. They made it all the games available for free, and I say free to people who had cable subscriptions for a while, and now they're going to charge $50 for the whole package of games, which is not an unreasonable price, but it does it is sort of like a canary in the coal mine of what can happen with the the other major sports that have paid all this money for rights and now needs to figure out how to how to recoup its investment. The Premier League deal is the the quintessential example of of sports going so right and then corporate greed going so wrong. The the way that that NBC Sports had had absolutely put everything behind the EPL was just evident whenever you would if you would actually sit down and watch a game they put so much into the production they put i I don't know i I thought they've they've done such a great job in trying to mainstream that game in the u.s i thought they've done an an incredibly remarkable job and the fact that at any point you could have gone on the nbc sports app and streamed any game as it was happening in england was huge like if if you decided that you were going to sit down and watch a game one day and you're like, I really like this this whole city team, which you'd be kind of stupid to, but like if you're like, I really like this whole city team because they're playing against this Manchester United, this these fellas who are supposed to be this ragtag bunch of, you know, miscreants, this whole city team, and they're going against this this, Goli- this Goliath of sorts and this Manchester United, they only lost 6-1. to one. They, they really showed a lot. I want to watch them next week. You could go on the app and you could go watch Hull City, like, lose every week. But now, 
now you are subject or you're being subjected to watching only the the biggest teams which for the casual fan isn't that big of a deal like if you want to watch your chelsea's manchester united manchester cities of the world maybe tottenham or arsenal like that's fine those games will be aired and and if you have a cable package you're fine and if you have some kind of streaming service like sling you're fine you'll you'll get to watch them but for anybody else who wanted to keep up well, with some that's of these, incorrect these if other... they're aired you can still you can still stream them if you have a cable credential login so if you are an that's nbc right. subscriber you could still watch them in the nbc app that is not changing but only the games they choose to broadcast the streaming you'll have to do through the NBC Sports app. They, there's this Deadspin's article takes a slightly different version of this, where they make it sound like the the games that are going to be on the NBC or on um, USA or one of those channels will not be streaming under the gold package. Because if they're streaming under the the gold package, then that would mean that the um, cord cutters would be able to to get access to them, which is which is what they're essentially trying not to do so they might be available through the regular nbc sports app with a credential but they are not supposed to be streaming through the gold package that's that's part of the rub here that's why people are so upset that they're you know essentially taking what their coverage had been of having all of these these games in one place for for free uh, if you had a cable credential and now they're they're putting them in two different places well you and i interpreted this article differently yes. but but it stands to reason, and this Deadspin article, like I said, they, they take the, the stance that the games that are going to be airing on NBC and, and USA and, and those sorts of networks are not going to be on that NBC Gold platform that you're paying $50 for the, the season Co for. Correct, but I believe, I could be wrong, and this is unclear, but I believe the Gold package is available in the NBC, it's just a section within the NBC Sports app. So... The, the the rub if that is the case the rub is if you're an NBC cable subscriber and you want these extra games you can watch all of those games in the same NBC sports app this is what I'm pretty sure this is what they did for the Olympics I don't think they're going to have a spin-off app where you can watch some of the games that you paid for but then the broad the, the traditionally broadcast games in only the NBC app I suspect that's all going to live within the NBC sports app even if it's in like a different section of that app I I that is the way I read it, and I, I think that is the way NBA puts or NBC puts everything in that app. Even like if you want to watch local Comcast Sportsnet, it's within the NBC Sports app. So they like when you're in the NBC Sports app, you choose your city, and you could watch Comcast Philly, but you don't get Comcast Mid Atlantic or Boston or whatever um, or LA. Uh, like they use their app as I think a catch-all. So I would suspect they're all in the same app, and their their deal is not unreasonable. It's like hey. Most of the people watching the games that are not televised are your hardcore soccer fans who, like you said, want to watch a whole city. Um, so they're probably willing to pay $50 for a year. It is not that much money, and it's a pretty good deal if you're a fan of a team or you really just really just like soccer and want to have the full smorgasbord of games. I think where you're running the problems, though, like uh, take someone like me who like five years ago got into it, chose Tottenham as a team. They frequently were not one of the main games on, then it was Fox, and then NBC got the rights. But they were almost always available to stream, even with Fox. You could usually get them streaming. With NBC, they streamed, streamed, um, streamed every game. So if I wanted to watch Tottenham, I knew I could go watch them, and a lot of times I would just have to do it on my iPad or beam it to my TV, which I did a lot, which was fine. Um, or I guess in the NBC Sports app on Apple TV, I watched some. Um, 
but I'm not like a hardcore fan. I wouldn't have paid $50 a year for that, but I like choosing a team and sticking with them on weekends. And I think you're going to lose people like that by doing this. Um, there's economics at play here. They spent a lot of money on the rights, and they were giving away essentially a league pass. That's not the case in American sports. Like we, If we want to watch every NBA game or NFL game or, or baseball or hockey game, we have to pay for the additional league pass packages, which are well over $100 for all those, all those things. So the $50 pass is not unreasonable, but it's disappointing because we saw NBC do something really cool with soccer. And the U.S. has always been a much better place to watch soccer than... London. And I, I didn't realize this, or I guess I had known this but forgot about it. Um, my brother-in-law used to live in London. He said, it's really hard to watch games here. The 10 o'clock weekend games here, I guess 2 or 3 o'clock in London, are not broadcast at all, any of them, in London because they want people to actually go to the games and support the clubs. And this was the club's way of preserving ticket sales. Now, maybe eventually London would have figured out, you would have thought, how much more valuable TV rights are over ticket sales. And these are, for the most case, somewhat smaller uh, stadiums, except for the biggest teams, that they're probably going to fill anyways, that have long season ticket holder lists that they could have filled and gotten TV rights for. But that's a whole nother, whole nother story. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing. It makes sense. But I, I, I to me, it looks if, like they... For they, our crowd, it symbols it symbolizes what could happen with an ESPN that has paid so much for NBA rights and is losing subscribers. Like I wouldn't be surprised in the near future. And this has always been the argument. Like if you want ESPN, you're gonna have to pay for it directly. You're gonna have to pay twenty five dollars a month just to get ESPN, or just to get you know I don't know twenty bucks a month to get Fox Sports because those those things have relied forever on just everyone like getting it whether they wanted it or not and as people start to pull away like what NBC is doing here hey look like we we got to pay for these rights somehow so if you really want all these games you got to subscribe separately I I think that's a, a thing we're going to see in many forms of sports broadcasting over the next five five or so years yeah it, it I it's just it is so it's like I said before it's just so disappointing because NBC had done it so well and they the other thing that that I think it looks like we're now losing if, if you're a fan of the EPL is you're you're gonna lose the um, the archives so previously if you missed if you missed your favorite team's game you can go on the NBC sports app and you could pull up a, a replay of the game and what it looks like with this gold pass now is that they're getting away from even maintaining an an, archi- an archive of replays that it's going to be like a streaming only thing where you will not be able to catch your favorite team's game later. You have to watch it as it's happening. Um, that's through awful announcing. That. So we'll, as this kind of works its way out, we'll update. I don't know how many people are going to care, but it's. I, I always say soccer is kind of like the harbinger of bad news for the other sports. So, you know, your, your thought on what ESPN could look like and the way that they could make people pay, I think it's a little bit exorbitant, but it is, it, there's potential there for it to go sideways very quickly. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I mean, the, the alternative now was laying off a bunch of people. Um, but, you know, you can only cut so many costs. Um, I guess to put a bow on the whole thing, because we didn't really talk too much about ESPN and FS1, but the point was all three of the major sports networks have, have made their own really interesting decisions of late. And they've all, at least in the case of ESPN and NBC, kind of stemmed from paying for sports rights. ESPN had to cut, cut some talent and then decided that they were going to overpay 
the loud talkers. Fox Sports, it sounds like, have just completely decided to go all in on their quote-unquote, and this is from Jamie Horowitz, their A-list talent. They want to make everything on their website just like regurgitations of Cowherd's opinion. Like almost, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, but like almost the sort of thing like, like I do with the website. Like we talk about stuff on this podcast and then we will repost some of those conversations or thought lines. I'll repost them on the website. And Fox is trying for that multiple touch point strategy. The problem is Fox is not like a one or two person blog, like an opinion based thing. They are a major sports outlet and people there are pissed because they've completely cut out like not only journalism, not like hardcore like sports writing, but like just the fun internet writing, 11, you know, the 11 best landing spots for LeBron James next year, stuff like that, like pieces that people would actually read that were interesting, that were a little clickbaity, but like the sort of things a lot of sports fans read all the time, they're cutting that out and just repurposing their website to serve up clips and articles about things their own talent has said. And their talent is guys like Cowherd and Bayless. It's the exact opposite of what people really value now, these big, loud opinions. Um, and NBC is now charging for one of the best products they had, $50 a month. So really interesting I, things happening. Uh, I, and like, I think people are unhappy with all three of those places for all of those decisions in some way. Uh, and I just think it points to the fact that like no one really knows right now about sports rights, about sports media. There's so much confusion that like all these networks are trying different things to see what works. And like, you know, not that they're making the wrong decisions because there's no roadmap here, but they're all doing things that people don't like in the in the name of trying to figure out how to like stop the bleeding in some cases or turn a profit. Fox Sports ones or Fox Sports website now. I, I just went on to it. Is mind-numbingly upsetting. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. It's really it's, really bad. I mean, when you said that it's all video, like it, it really is all video. The only way for you to find any it's, kind of written word is to is to like pick a league and then click specifically on a team and you might be privy to like one or two articles about something to do with the Sixers or like if you click on the Eagles, two of the top stories are about Tim Tebow's baseball career. Wow. It's like this wow. it, man it I, I I don't I don't get it. I don't get Horowitz. What you've essentially done is you've said the stuff that people get so irritated with ESPN about is what our company is now going to move to. And we're going to double down on it by acquiring Skip Bayless, who might might have been the worst person on ESPN, and saying that, hey, we're going to take Skip, and now every opinion that Skip has is going to be the face of our company. We're gonna and we're going to roll with that. Yeah. And it's weird because like, I think the, the part that's even dumber about it is the, that show, Undisputed, has horrible ratings. Like, we're talking atrocious. So unless somebody at Fox said, look, Horowitz, the only way for this thing to work is for you to to continue to perpetuate the things that are being said on the network as as if, like, that's going to somehow get people to want to tune into FS1 is, is like, just... I, I'm trying to understand why, as a consumer, if I'm sitting down to go on Fox Sports website where I used to like to read a couple of their writers, and now you're going to say to me that I... That, broke that, a like, lot of baseball news on there. That's yeah, dumb. but like, now now I'm supposed to sit down and say, okay, I, instead of being able to read a well-thought-out article, I've got to listen to Skip Bayless yell at Shannon Sharp. And when he does, that's somehow going to push me to go watch FS1. You know, like, if, if you're an FS1 viewer, 
why would you even want to sit down and watch their shows if now you know that all you have to do is go to their website and watch a two-minute clip? Instead of having to sit through hours of, of uh, you know, debate shows, you could really just kind of, you know, whittle it down to, to two, three-minute clips. I, I don't know how this helps their network. And it certainly doesn't help the the people, you know, it doesn't help the, the audience who have been hoping for somebody to finally double down on actual, like, journalistic integrity and people who got sick of debate. I mean, the debate shows are fine, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. But for the people who have been so dis- disaffected and disinterested in what ESPN has done, Fox Sports has essentially said, we're going to do it with worse talent. And it, I just don't get the strategy. Because yeah. now where do you go? ESPN goes and fires a bunch of uh, a bunch of writers and on-air personalities. Fox Sports goes and absolutely obliterates their writing staff and their digital presence. Like, where are you supposed to go? And, and like, Horowitz in that article, they said that in his presentation to the digital staff, he said that the reason they were getting rid of, uh, like, viral content was because, like, Bleacher Report and Barstool does it. Well, I mean, I guess if, if you're going to take that idea, then you shouldn't do any kind of programming whatsoever because ESPN covers it. It's it, it, it just it's so hypocritical on so many levels, and it, and it makes me as a consumer even more disgusted with Fox for, for doubling down on this, on like the kind of things that I hate ESPN for doing. Well, so yeah, I mean, what it is is it's both of these networks, ESPN and Fox, recently deciding with ESPN's layoffs and with Fox changes that they are not valuing the written word because it's hard to monetize. And they're correct. Like the internet advertising industry is such right now that the written word, because of years of publishers and advertisers creating a terrible ad experience, the advertisers creating bad ads and publishers creating mouse traps to try and game the system and, and spike page views has made the internet banner ad relatively worthless. Not worthless, but worth a lot less than it, it used to be. And that a comparable ad alongside content in newspaper or certainly on TV would have been worth. And it's harder to monetize that stuff. So even the best Ken Rosenthal article that has two ads built in will not generate as much as a shitty debate clip between Skip and Shannon with a 30-second autoplay ad. So from a business standpoint, like that is their thinking and that's why ESPN cut these writers and that's why Fox cut these writers and they're not necessarily wrong there but what they're doing is they're doubling down on things like you said that people don't like like the debate style the hot take sports fans are coming to appreciate the fact that there are actually there's actually substance out there and like everyone likes fun and the viral stuff and that's fine but that's that stuff does pay the bills like when i do an in-depth post i might do a post about sports media stuff and it's one of the things i think my readers like the most i get a lot of feedback on but it doesn't get i could do a video of joel Embiid, you know doing his euro step on a girl in the sidewalk and that post will get twice as many views as the other thing but that's not to harwood's point that doesn't keep keep people coming back to your site because it's a commodity they can get it anywhere and everyone is rightfully trying to have their own niche. Even Barstool, they're, they're creating their own videos. They're trying to get their own viral videos. I try and like want people to come to the website because hopefully we have like unique takes on things. And it's not like 
me yelling about stuff, but like we try and go in like a different direction on all the things we talk about on the website and this podcast. And that's fine, but they're, they're doubling down on the things that people hate. And what's worse is that ESPN and Fox, ESPN spent all this money on rights and they were already on shaky ground. And Fox, and when both of those networks decided, well, the rights aren't doing it for us, so we have to overspend on our talent. But, oh, by the way, people really don't, it's worthless. Like people, the, the amount of money Fox is paying Skip Bayless for his ratings is like so out of whack. It's crazy. And that's where you get into this bubble thing. They keep throwing money at problems to try and like stop a leak, but they're throwing money that, that they are increasingly losing at things that are not working. As sports rights work, but I guess ESPN overpaid for them. And that's how you create a bubble when you throw money at things that, that do not connect to their ROI. That, that's probably like the best way to sum it up. And both ESPN and Fox are doing that in, in ways that, um, you know, ESPN's better because, you know, they still have something valuable in the sports rights, whether or not they can make their money back. It's a different story. But Fox throwing money at big talents and doubling down on it is, is not going to work. And this article on Awful Announcing was just a screed of Fox employees and former employees anonymously just railing on Harwood, saying to a man, every person in that company hated it, hated what they're doing. And, and saying the fact that in the meeting, backfire. he he railed, he like, he had put up examples of the kind of content that, that they didn't want to have on the website anymore. And the people who wrote the stuff were the ones that he was presenting to. Yeah, it was that. They said, uh, there was a quote in there that said that he thinks he's Don Draper, that everybody thinks that he's a genius, but in fact, everybody thinks he's a joke. And they compared him to someone that you like to talk about all the time. But we've actually gotten through a podcast without you saying the name. So that's that's not bad. Kyle Lowry? No. Who? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Who? Uh, never Who? mind. Who? Oh, now, now you got it. I'm not going to let it go until you tell me. Well, then that's going to make for some really awkward pauses and some really bad content, my friend. They compared him to a... They compared him to somebody Oh, Donald who... Trump. There you go. Donald Trump. They said that he was just tone deaf to the room. There's See, all... we got through a whole... Man, just when I thought Trump we were... Trump is, is a character in every business. That's the beautiful thing about Trump. Is like his persona exists Here we go. all throughout the world. And you can compare so many failures and uh, like unique people to Donald Trump. Because there's, there's that person in every business. And every company has a Donald Trump type person. Every single one. Um, that's a good comparison. Who's anyway, the Donald Trump person at Crossing Broad? That would be me. That would be me. Hey, all right. Be me. I'm also everybody else. I'm um, <laughs> also the guy who's got to edit this. Uh, so uh, that was a good show, hour long. Adam, we presume, will be back on Friday, assuming he is uh, still alive. So um, we, will, uh, we will see you on Friday. Free agency coming up this weekend. Uh, we'll have some discussions there. We're not sure about our 4th of July schedule at the moment. There may not be a show like next Monday, holiday weekend. We're not sure. Although I suspect we may need an emergency pod um, for some of the free agent. So the NBA tampering period, legal tampering, starts on the 1st or whatever they're calling it now. And then teams can officially sign players on the 6th. So there will be a lot of NBA news this weekend. Hockey free agency starts on Saturday as well, which is always fun. Although it used to be more fun on their home grin. Hextall's a little bit more sane. So uh, anyway, this could be some It'll things be, to talk about on Friday. This is, this is going to be interesting. I can't wait to see all the people arguing about Andre Iguodala making a, a homecoming to the Sixers over J.J. Redick 
It's going to be great. I saw somebody do that yesterday, and it, it just drove me up a freaking wall. So. I am blown away by the desire in Andre Iguodala. Am I missing something? I, I have nothing against Iguodala. If you're missing but, something, I'm missing something, too. I, I am against it. I, But uh, that'll be maybe that there. There's a nice tease for Friday that we won't get to. Um, hit us up in the uh, on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter at JoyOnBroad, at CrossingBroad, at Adam Lefko, and let us know who you prefer between J.J. Redick and Andre Iguodala. Who are some players that you want to see on your team? By the way, Kyle, we didn't mention this at all, but the Fanatic yesterday saying, who do you want to go to war on? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that was, it was funny because uh, that was like directly from like one of your, um, like one of your shots at them. Get some, get some, got someone or something you want to declare war on? We'd love to hear yours. 610-632-0975. I mean, also- it was, it was, it was awesome and also horrible. Also, I mean, right now, WIP Morning Show wants to know what your favorite Stein is. S T I E S T E I N. I don't. Mark Stein, Beer Stein. I, I don't. I don't even understand the question. What is your favorite Stein? Also, uh, mine. News. Mine, I would say, is Albert Einstein. Oh, that's a good one. It's good. It's good yeah. Stein. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, also, Paul breaking and- news: uh, Phil Jackson out with the Knicks as of today, Wednesday. It's morning. official. Uh, I don't know if it's official, but it, uh, they're all everyone's reporting that. So yeah, as of today, he'll be done. Whoa! Uh, so I guess we can drop the Porzingis thing. I guess Dolan finally wised up to the fact that Jackson was going to part ways with their biggest star. So we don't really know the details here. Anyway, uh, we so this is stuff something we definitely will be topic for Friday. We'll, we'll consider it our free agent episode, free agency episode, off season trade episode. So we'll see what it means for any of the Porzingis discussion and any other NBA discussion. Uh, anyway, so yeah, um, that is it. We will see you on Friday. You got anything to add, Russ? Any more ninety-seven-five tweets to caught your eye? Uh, no, I think no. I think we'll save them for Friday. All right, we will. Uh, Don't forget we'll... to leave five-star reviews on iTunes. We still need a few more people to get us over two hundred. We're inching. That would be swell. Leave us five-star reviews. Leave us a review. Leave questions in the review. Uh, we, we've we've continued to get the star ratings, but the written reviews have have slowed down. So keep the written reviews coming because we actually like to hear the feedback there. Um, and if you want to include a question or a shore house, your best Philly sports shore house, or uh, what else were we taking in there? Um, which which TV characters me, Russ, and Adam would be? Uh, whatever you want to include in there, keep the written reviews coming. Uh, all right, that's it. We are going to go. Russ, I will see you, uh, and we'll be back on Friday with presumably Adam. Woohoo!